Hello, everybody. Welcome. I hope everyone's staying happy and healthy. And uh, welcome to day three of remote learning. So uh, I, for homework, had you look at or think about is history dominated by the struggle of good and evil? And um, again, like before, I have not, or I'm recording this before the assignment's due. So I look forward to uh, looking at your answers and seeing what you, what you have to say. Basically, what we're going into today is I'm giving you five of the men that I believe really shaped modern-day uh, jihadist radical Muslim thinking. Uh, just a very brief overview. We've talked about all but two in our class this year, um, but I want to introduce or reintroduce the three and then um, actually introduce you to two more. Um, just overview, the five I want to introduce you to are Taimiya, and I'm probably butchering that, Wahab, we'll talk, we've talked about him, Albana, we've talked about him, Kutub, we've talked extensively about him, and Maudadi, he is a new one. So the first and the last are new. So Taimiya, um, T-A-Y-M-I-Y-Y-A, his times on earth uh, were 1263 to 1328. And um, he argued, he was a, 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 I mean, he read the Quran backwards and forwards, had it memorized, so definitely had his own interpretations of the Quran and the Hadiths. And he believed that Islam required state power. Now, he lived during the time of Mongol rule and the huge expansion of the Mongols. And he argued that the Mongol rulers acted immorally. And it was the duty of Muslims to, to partake in jihad. Now, what he did, and this is really important moving forward, is he expanded the definition of jihad and that Muslims should fight all heretics and un- unbelievers until all religion was for God alone. So you can understand how modern-day jihadists can take this and make it applicable towards anyone who's not Muslim, where he was applying it to the Mongols, but you can easily you know, take this however you want. Wahab, we've talked about before, and he lived in the Ottoman Empire from 1704 to 1797. Um, he, during his time, I don't know if you remember, but during his time, the sultans of the Ottoman Empire were attempting to modernize. Uh, in the 1700s, is the age of enlightenment and the scientific revolution. We're creeping up to the French Revolution in Europe, lots of big things happening in Europe. And in the Ottoman Empire, there was an attempt to modernize or, you know, westernize, essentially. And so he was exiled and he uh, went to Saudi Arabia. And he really focused on what's called the doctrine of Tawid, T-A-W-H-I-D, which basically means God is one and only. And he, his call was to, for all Muslims to return to the true and basic form of Islam. Um, while in Saudi Arabia, his ideas spread through the Al Saud Bedouin tribes. And if you remember from your freshman year, Bedouin, those were the native tribes in Saudi Arabia. And it t- his ideas take this just really raw, true form of Islam. And what's important is Ibn Saud um, is going to adopt his message. And if you remember from your sophomore year, Ibn Saud is going to be the man who's going to unite all of the tribes. And he is going to use the Wahhab uh, message and create the first Saudi state. Now, it's tricky. Uh, if, you, if you recall, you know, in the thir- 20s and 30s, Saudi Arabia is, is a very, very poor country. When oil is found, uh, it's with the help of the American company. And uh, by the 50s, Saudi Arabia is completely transformed. Uh, and of course, if you recall, we talked about Osama bin Laden's dad, basically with his uh, 
construction company building Saudi Arabia. But Ibn Saud, he, he actually died a very conflicted man because of his Wahhabism beliefs, but also, I mean, my goodness, he had everything Western. I mean, phenomenal palaces, etc. But Wahhabism, basically, it's not a nationalism, not an ideology. It's argued it is true Islam. Albana, he was Egyptian. He is our third, and we've talked about him before. His dates are 1906 to 1949. Uh, and he was truly impacted by British occupation and the collapse of the Ottoman Empire. He saw the collapse of the Ottoman Empire as just a tragedy and, and the creation of modern-day Turkey under Ataturk as just Western and awful. Uh, he saw Europe and the West as uh, intellectual and a physical threat to Islam. And he actually refers to the mental colonization where he sees too much Western education and influence upon Muslims. Um, he argued, you know, a couple of days ago, I talked about, you know, near enemies versus far enemies. He wanted to focus on near enemies. And in his opinion, Nasser, the president of, of Egypt, was a near enemy. He was a man who was a Muslim, but he was too Western and he did not truly adapt to true Islam. And so he believed that the first battle would be with the unbelievers in Egypt. And he said that this battle, this jihad, was a social duty from God. In 1928, he created the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood, just so you know, this was a, a, a group that was open to all Muslim men, not confined to one country. Um, it still exists today. It's a political group. Um, in the 60s, they renounced violence. They renounced violence again recently. It's They kind of go back and forth. They're typically as a militant branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. Um in 1948, uh, Nasser cracked down on the Muslim Brotherhood because it was seen as a threat to him, and uh, he was killed in 1948, uh, which, putting things in perspective, that's just after the end of the Second uh, World War. All right, so at the peak of the Cold War, no one's really paying attention to what's going on in the Middle East, just to kind of put things into perspective. Said Khatib, one of my favorite, we've talked extensively about him. He's also Egyptian. His dates are 1906 to 1966. He actually worked in, he was educated. He worked in the Egyptian government. He became kind of outspoken against the government. His friends sent him to America thinking, you know, kind of see what's over there. It's maybe it's, maybe it'll calm you down a little bit. And so he ended up spending a couple years at Greeley, uh, Colorado, went to colleges and he was just horrified. It did the exact opposite to him. He couldn't believe that Americans would drink and then go to church. He couldn't believe how open females were, you know, with their bodies and drinking and dancing. Um, so this, this really impacted him. Um, he returned to Egypt and he joined the Muslim Brotherhood in 1954. He was arrested and he wrote a very, very important book. Uh, the abbreviated version is called Milestones. And in Milestones, he, he basically lays out all of his ideas. Uh, he says that all Muslims have a duty to jihad and that this, this, what their duty is, is to engage in continuous struggle, both armed and intellectual. So again, I hope you're picking up this theme. It's not just fighting. It's there's this threat of this intellectual uh, influence. And go back to a couple of days ago when I said, you know, knowledge is power. This, that's palpable. I mean, everyone knows that. And hopefully you all know that. Um, also, for Qatab, this was really important, I think, is that he really changed the definition of a real Muslim. It was no longer okay just to publicly de declare that God is the one and only God, but you have to put his laws into practice. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, modern age artists will use this to justify fighting, justify fighting and killing. And they'll basically say that this is in the Quran. And you, as a good Muslim, you put this into practice. Uh, Kitab argues, what is peace in Islam? Well, basically say, says is when law of society has been purified and the obedience of all people is only for God. Lastly, uh, Maududi, M-A-W-D-U-D-U. He is Indian, 1903 to 1979. I put these in chronological order. Hopefully you picked up on that. But basically, if you recall in India, India was an English colony uh, until 1948, 1949, and that impacted him. Also, more importantly, if you recall, um, he truly believed that Islam was threatened by the Hindu majority. And so he wanted to wage jihad against uh, Hindus, particularly in the Kashmir region. Um, Also, what's interesting about him is he believes his party that he created was a vanguard. And hopefully that brings up allusions to Lenin and Lenin and his Bolsheviks and they were there that he saw his party as a vanguard. Um, Maudetti argued that Islam was for all and claimed that it appealed to the masses before Marx did. So he's very open about it's, it's for everybody. It's not just for a particular group of people. Um, now that you have the basics, uh, I'm looking forward to taking you to the end of the 1990s, where this really amps up um, international attacks, and um, this is going to lead us directly into um, 9-11. So I hope you have a great day, stay healthy, make good choices, and I'll talk to you soon.